Welcome to this special edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Our interview with the greatest UCF athlete there is for my money, and certainly someone who is on the Mount Rushmore of sports, uh, not just in UCF, but maybe throughout the entire country, Michelle Akers. Of course, she's a household name if you follow the sport of soccer. Um, and But it, it, it's interesting that you know she's known so much for what her exploits with the United States women's national team uh, in soccer. She won two World Cups, Olympic gold, um, the second leading scorer in U.S. history behind Mia Hamm, whom she played with. But it's easy to forget that she played at UCF and um, at a time when uh, not just college women's soccer was just getting going, but at a time when UCF was really a laying down the path uh, in the sport of soccer in the college ranks, particularly with the women's game. Um, we spoke about in this interview uh, a number of things, of course, having to do with her time at UCF and then moving into the uh, U.S. women's national team and all the way through to today. And uh, we are so, so thankful for Michelle taking uh, the time for us to talk and, uh, and sharing her memories of her time as a UCF Knight, then a UCF Golden Knight. But um, wow, what an amazing interview is. This probably goes down as you know, one of my three favorite interviews in the history of this podcast, maybe my favorite of all time. Of course, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where you can find our UCF 250. We're ranking the top 250 UCF Knights of all time, uh, men's athletes, women's athletes, coaches, assistant coaches, and at the very top of our top 80 female UCF Knights of all time is our guest. Without further ado, let's get to our interview with the great Michelle Akers. Joining us is, I'm not afraid to say this, one of our heroes, no doubt about it. She is the greatest athlete in UCF history, by far and away, uh, an American hero in more than one way, played for the uh, United States women's national team throughout the uh, 80s and 90s, World Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, FIFA all-time great, Michelle Akers, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Michelle, oh my God, it's you. Hi, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. We're so happy to have you. First of all, uh, just update us real quick on, and update the UCF fans on uh, what you've been up to of late. Oh, boy. Lately? Um, you know, looking for face masks that fit right. Right? So, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a problem for you guys. But, God, it's so hard to find something that's not, like, actually works good. Um, but I am here. I'm near Atlanta uh, on an eight-acre farm and. um I'm a mom uh, to a 15-year-old. We just got his lear learner's permit, so we're both tr trying to stay alive on the roads right now. And uh, take and taking care of, I have a horse rescue and outreach uh, nonprofit, 501c3, so I have a bunch of horses and animals here. And so, you know, I take care of them and try to help other animals that need help and, uh, you know, are in between places or, um, and then, you know, trying to, 
find donations and pay for the, all the care of these guys and, uh, and still maintain a little bit of sanity. I, I think that, you know, that possibility left a long time ago though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we got you on here cause obviously you're UCF alum, a hall of famer, uh, the greatest athlete in UCF uh, athletics history. I just want to kind of, we talk a little bit about your UCF career. How did you end up at UCF? Cause you mentioned uh, people that follow you. You're from the West coast. You're from Seattle, I believe. Yeah, I know. So it's like, if I, I, was, I grew up in Seattle. I, I lived in um, near Santa Clara, California for until like age, uh, whatever, how old, however old you are when you go to into third grade. Um, and then lived in Seattle for until it was time to go to college. So I, I was um, recruited um, as a soccer player, and all the schools were out, out east. There was nothing in the West Coast that offered a scholarship. There was no D1 programs. So I, you know, was recruited by lots of East Coast schools, UNC and UConn and um, UMass. And then at the end of that, I, uh, UCF, uh, called and my stepmom, who happened to be um, the first female in a U.S. U.S. Soccer Federation A licensed coaching course, knew Jim Rudy, who was the coach then. Then, so she's like, "Oh, I love Jim Rudy." So I took a trip out there as soon as I saw it, the school, and met the team, and I was like, "This, this is it. This is my place." So uh, you know, made a decision right, right, right when I got home. I was like, "I'm going." So, and, and, um, it was great because one of my friends from Seattle, actually, she was a bitter, bitter rival, um, in, in our club team system there, uh, Amy Allman, her name's Amy Griffin now, um, she, she went the same year. So we were paired up as roommates. So I, you know, the first meeting in the dorm room was like, yeah, you know, then by, you know, one hour later, we're, we're best friends forever because we're like totally birds flung out of their their nests and in this new environment so it was it was such a great uh such a great time so glad i i decided to go to ucf competitors respect right absolutely absolutely and she was a goalkeeper too so there was like this you know the extra like like that but she's too nice to to be hated right so you know my first conversation i was i already loved her and as did everybody else. She and she went on um, to play on the national team uh, in the '91 World Cup. She was there too, so it was kind of a, a fun thing. You know, a lot of UCF players actually were on that on the U.S. team. Kim Wyant and Linda Gansitano. Um, so that the whole program was really strong, full, a lot, very full of a lot of badass women. You know, I it, it's something that I, I don't. I think it's kind of lost in the shuffle historically. Is that UCF soccer? its history is more or less entwined with the U.S. Women's National Team, not just because of you, obviously, but yeah. because of all your teammates and, that played at that time. Tell me about when you guys got to UCF and you, and you had this collection of talent that was before you. The, well, what was it like actually being at UCF at that time? I know you've been probably to, to campus a few times. You see how big it is now. But yes. back yes. at that time, it was pretty, it was pretty slim pickings out, out in East Orlando, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, right. It it was um, a lot of open space, a lot, a lot of woods, right? And then so uh, the freshmen, they're always put in the dorm. So I was 
can't remember the name of the dang dorm, but the dorm that I was in was right next to the admin building, which, you know, where the fountain is. Is that like Orange Hall? Yeah, it could have been Orange Hall. Right. Like you, I would look out my window, I could see the admin building in the fountain. Um, so it was right on that circle. Is that circle still there? That little, you know what I'm talking about? It probably is not. Oh yeah, it's still, it's, still, it's still there. It's still is there. It? It's, it doesn't look the same as it did when, when, even when Eric and I were students, but it's still there. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh my God. So many pranks happened in that circle. One time I was coming back from class and somebody's entire dorm room was of furniture was out sitting in that on the grass right in front of the circle. It was hilarious. So, okay. Lots of great memories, obviously. So we were in the dorms, Amy Allman and I roommates. Um, and there was, it went, and that was a huge commuter school at the time. Um, and, and so once, if you were on campus and you didn't have a car, forget it. You, you were like stranded there you, and hoping you had some microwave popcorn. You, Cause you couldn't, once the, the cafeteria closed, you, you, there was no, you couldn't walk. Like the only place to walk was the nights out pub or there's like a 7-Eleven or pizza hut there. And, and to do that, like if it was like, you know, starting to get nighttime and you're hungry, you, you would have to like, it's dark. There's no light. You would have to walk through the woods and cross. Is it 50 colonial? No. What's, what's the Alifea trail. Yeah. Alifea trail. Yep. Yep. Cross that road, which was only two lanes at the time. Um, but it was pitch black and, you know, you try to buy whatever you're trying to get. There's nothing. So it was, um, it was, it was kind of cool actually, because it was, you know, everybody was really tight. So a lot of the athletes were on campus all the time. So you, in the cafeteria, you see the same people all the time and small tight knit group. You'd walk from that dorm there, orange, um, across <laughs> the blacktop endless abyss parking lot. And I, you know, and I was from Seattle. So the hundred and 50 million degree heat walking across the, the black asphalt. By the time you got to the training room, you were almost dead from dehydration and heat exhaustion. So, and then, then you go to the, the pool was there, which was a huge thing. And then the fields uh, were, were right, you know, extending beyond the pool. So, you know, those were the places I frequented the, the pool, the soccer fields, the, the training room, um, that my dorm, obviously in the cafeteria. I mean, that, that was basically the entire campus. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. And for people that may not be aware, and we had a Winston DeBose on recently who played on the men's soccer team for Coach Rudy. He coached the men's and the women's back then. He yeah. created both of them. Describe what it was like to play for Coach Rudy, who you got to play for. And ironically, his last game as UCF head coach was your the final four game when to play to UMass, and he ended up going to UMass. Yeah. Uh, in 87, which is kind of weird now. It was you think a conspiracy, about it. I think. <laughs> Probably. But yeah. what was that like? Because he's coaching the men and the women uh, at the same time and helping build both programs. Yeah, well, I mean, I was um, relatively naive. I, I just thought that's kind of how it was. So I never questioned it until, like, later somebody brought that up or, um, you know, when, he, when Rudy left – um, and then, you know, separate coaches came in for both programs. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh. So, it, I mean, it was really cool uh, it, because – so he, he, he coached both men and the women, and then he did goalkeeper sessions, which I found out later was kind of a rare thing. Like, 
not a lot of the goalkeepers at that time were getting specified uh, training away from their team. And so the, so he, the set the schedule was one to two were goalkeepers and men's and women's goalkeepers trained together. So, which doesn't happen now. Right. So just that part lent um, to a lot of our success because we were, you know, the women's program, we, we got to compete against the guys and that um, obviously elevates your, your level of play. You got to play quicker and smarter and the guys are physically bigger and stronger. So um, that, that's one of the reasons why we were successful, I think. So then one to two were the goalkeepers and then two to four was the women's training. And then um, four to six was the guys. And I would, I was out there all, all the time. So, um, you know, I went to the goalkeeper sessions and begged, please let me participate. Cause it was like a, you know, kid in a candy store. I, I loved shooting and doing all that stuff. So he always allowed that. And, um, and then we'd go into our own training and then sometimes I would stay and train an hour with the men's team. Um, and he, so he, since he was the coach, he, he kind of got to govern all of that and, and run all that. And then bo both teams were extremely tight. We were huge supporters and advocates for each other. We were at everybody, you know, the guys would go to the girls games and vice versa. So it was a really um, kind of tight knit group of people um, that very unique, you know, to the time and, and to Rudy's, coaching of of the entire program what a cool community that was that you guys were a part of back then yeah you were there and, and and i think i feel like how important was that to you especially in 85 because you came in in 84 and then you missed the 85 season came back in yeah. 86 to play 86 through 88 so tell us about 85 what happened and and how did you get through the challenge of not playing that year so, yeah, so the, that was the summer, let me see, was that right? The summer of 85 was the first national team, first ever women's national team. Um, and we went to Italy. And so Kim Wyant, who was the UCF goalkeeper at the time, was the goalkeeper um, for that first uh, U.S. national team. And um, Linda Gantitano, who's defender for UCF, um, she, she was on that first U.S. team, um, and then Amy Allman. So um, we all went, and, you know, we kind of got our asses kicked. We, we were tough, but we weren't very soccer, you know, savvy. And the other countries might not have been as athletic as us, but they knew soccer better, so we just got, you know, played. And um, But each game we got better. So in that tournament, I – hurt my shoulder and my knee. So I just, I think I like sublexed my shoulder and then I injured my knee, came back. And then, then my knee, I, I could, I ended up finding out I tore meniscus. So I, I, you know, was halfway through the season or, or maybe a couple games into it when I got the diagnosis and they were just like, you're, you'll have to red shirt. So that, that was, it's, that was devastating because, um, you know, you're there so far away from home and that my primary activity was soccer. And so to be taken away from that, I, I mean, I did go to my classes, but who cares? Right. Like I was like, ah, that's just the thing I have to do to play. So um, to kind of be separated from my team and not be able to be there in the way I wanted to was, was rough. It was, that was, that was hard. Um, so I had to, you know, have a surgery, it was, I think that was my first surgery too. Um, but 
I met uh, Dr. Barnett, who was with Jude Orthopedic at the time. So having that injury was worth meeting him because I, I just adored him. He was the best ever. Um, and then I, and when spring came, I was, I was ready to go. So um, I guess it, it made me um, even more excited to be out on the field with everybody and um, looking forward to, the, to you know, the entire next year and what we could do together. Back then, people may not realize the NCAA tournament for soccer was very small. It was very few yeah. teams, so it was not easy to get in. There was no guarantees uh, yeah. to get in because you had some great teams there. You mentioned you play with Kim Wyatt, who's currently a coach. She's in the Hall of Fame at UCF. Amy, you talked about, uh, yeah. was a great – played cross – I think also was cross-country and rowing while she was at UCF. Yes. Uh, you yes. play with Jean Varis, I believe, right? Yes. And she was an All-American. Jean uh, Varis, Mary Varis, her sister. Yeah. Yeah. So describe oh that gosh. group, that group, uh, because in a lot of ways, and Jeff mentioned it earlier, you're now you're also part of history building this UCF tradition, great tradition with goalkeeping, great tradition with success on the pitch. But you're also in the in the meantime, you're making history building the U.S. national team at the same time. I know it's. I mean, I I feel like. Um, I mean, I think that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about UCF, and you know, as a freshman coming in from coming from Seattle, um, that there was already this strong tradition. Uh, like, well, it was FTU before that. I don't, and, and it, I don't, I don't even know when it changed names, but it wasn't too, too long. They changed, it wasn't UCF for too long before I came. Um, um, but that, but the UCF soccer tradition and how Rudy, it was so integrated and, um, and so together, um, that, that to me was, I, I came into that. And, you know, as a freshman, I, I thought for sure I was going to be cut. Every day I walked to practice and Amy Allman and I, I, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be cut. I'm going to be cut. Amy's like, I'm going to be cut. No, I'm going to be. So it, I had no idea how good I was until really the, they, the team started teasing me about all these newspaper articles and attention. And I was like, oh, I might be good. But but that, but Jean Varis, Mary Varis, um, there was a bunch of New Yorkers and people from Chicago and St. Louis. And so they were so like, so tough, so tough and intimidating and, um, inspiring that I, most of the time I just put my head down and was like, how fast can I run? How high can I jump? Oh, or, oh my gosh, I just want to make this team. So, um, that part was um, you know, the UCF tradition for me was for me to live up to. Um, and then the, 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 the national team started. Um, and, you know, at first I had, I had no idea what a, a national team was. I was like, it was kind of like I was living in a closet or something. I don't know why I didn't know what a national team was, but it wasn't until I got to Italy and our coach, uh, Mike Ryan, was like, you guys need to understand the importance of being on a national team, the U.S. national team. And he, he made us sing the U.S. national anthem out loud, shouting it out loud, standing on the field with our hands on our hearts so he could try to help us understand the privilege of playing for the USA. And so doing all that um, together and having like my UCFers alongside me, it was I don't know. There's a huge sense of pride about that. And, and then walking on the field against other teams, you, you always were like, oh, you guys, we're, <laughs> we're the best, you know. There's like family pride in that. So it was, God, it was really cool. It was just a cool time to be a part of all that. 
How did UCF get you prepared to play, obviously, the rest of the career that you would have post-UCF, which obviously everybody knows about with the U.S. Yeah. national team, but how did UCF prepare you for that, for post-UCF life, uh, beyond not only yeah. playing for the U.S. national team, but even outside soccer? That, that's such a great question. No one's asked me that before. Um, I, you know, in part, I think because um, Rudy uh, was cool about allowing me to train in with the men all the time. And, you know, that doesn't happen now. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, when I trained, um, I would train with the goalkeepers, and which were guys, half of them were guys. And the guys, some of the guys' players would come out and do that. And he kind of treated us as equals. Um, so, and so and, – and then that team he recruited for the women's side, like I said, they were tough as nails. They were like brick house tough women. And so I kind of had to survive them. You know what I mean? And then they kind of helped me grow up and, and um, figure out how to – succeed playing in that kind of environment when you know they would they would just run you over or they would you know call you f f and f and f and f unless you're gonna train hard get off the field they would yell at people and so it was like oh my god you know i was horrified like i so growing up with that um and then being able to train in with the men and then we played all the time um the guys and um me and some of the girls would play small sided stuff on our own in the spring. So it was kind of this, um, I don't know. It was a, it was like an opportunity to really, um, compete to your highest level, um, with, without any interference and, and just encouragement. Um, so once I started playing with the national team, I was like, Oh, these, these Viking Norwegians are, trying to knock me over. Oh, I've had worse than that. Right. Cause I had these New Yorkers kicking the shit out of me, my entire UCF career. So, uh, I mean, so that, that's one of the ways, um, they, uh, that the UCF totally, um, spurred my success, um, at, at the higher levels later on. Now, what's fascinating, as I mentioned, was a small tournament back then, the NCAA tournament. So yeah. it was very hard to get in. But then when you got in, in most of your career, you had to deal with North Carolina. Uh, Damn Tar Heels. Yeah. Right? Like your last game as a UCF Knight was in 88 in the sec against North Carolina in the second round, which is really close to the final, you know, the College Cup, but what it's yeah. now known as the College Cup. Uh, but describe what it was the tournament was like back then compared to now when it's so big. I got to go to the College Cup yeah. a couple of years ago when it was in Orlando. And it's so big now. It's televised. It's 64 teams. That was not the case when you played. Describe what it was like when you played. And, you know, you're yeah. senior year, for people that don't know, you won the Herman Trophy, the player, the national player of the year, which was given out. I think it was the first year that it was I, given out. I was, was the first year. How, how crazy. You're good. Um, yeah. So the Herman Trophy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so Bill Parker calls me acres come down to the office. I, I, something came in the mail for you. I was like, what? You know, so I, okay. So I go down to the office. He's got this box. He shuts the door. He's like, so we, he's opening it up and I open it up and this, we open this. It's like a broken trophy. It's broken into pieces. Oh and no. It has a letter in it. You know, congratulations, Michelle Akers. You've, you know, been awarded this uh, Herman trophy and this is, 
okay. So I was like, okay, then, you know, on the trophies, like, and the pieces. And so I was like, okay, what is, thanks. Okay. But I, I had no understanding of what that was. And then that trophy was broken. So I, and it was a letter. I don't know. So I was just like, okay, thanks. But then Bill was like, Michelle, you don't understand. This is important. This is this. And trying to tell me what it was. So I, you know, it wasn't until much, much later um, after I graduated. And then they, they asked me, the Herman Trophy people, the Herman people asked me to come speak. And then I, then by then it was a big deal. You know, there was this big um, event. It was televised. It was, you know, all these, uh, you know, Pittsburgh Steeler people were there. Like it was a massive thing. Um, so when I went to speak, I was like, holy crap, I won that. I had no idea it was this big. Uh, so I, that's when I started going, wow, this was a huge thing. Um, so, so it, I don't know, it's cool to be that first one. And I'm sort of glad it was, it, it was the experience that it was. Um, because it's just, I don't know, it seems in, indicative of the times. Um, and so, um, I don't I, I, I think that trophy is there. I think they sent another one, maybe. I don't even know, but I think it's at UCF still. Um, and yeah, the, the, as far as the NCAA tournament, it was, it was, it was small, difficult uh to go through and um you know you had to have kind of a pristine record coming out of the season and some luck uh because some of those some of the teams the rivalries were so intense and very close it came down to sometimes um you know comparing the schedules kind of subjectively um and and also again going with who scored the most goals and so it's like oh my gosh so really tight and so I think one time we didn't make it it was devastating um because it was so tight and then yeah when we'd go through the damn Tar Heels UNC was always in our way we always had to get through them um in which so Anson recruited me to play there um and I, I said no um so you know I I just I just thought he was so arrogant and I I just don't want to, you know, I'm not, I don't want to play for that guy. And then later, you know, I have to play against him and then they beat us. I think we tied him in a, in, in season and then we lost to them. Yeah. Okay. What a memory. That's, I'm, I'm like impressing myself. I need to eat the same breakfast all the time because that's, it must be helping. <laughs> so, um, Anson, you know, there's, you know, inside I was like, Oh, I got to, kind of vindicate myself and beat them. Um, and, and, but my team was so intimidated by them, the Tar Heels, uh, the UNT team. And I didn't know why. Um, and then <laughs> I think we, we played them in that, in that game at UNC. Um, they had this Tar Heel blue track around the field. And Emily Pickering was their center midfielder. She was she was the best friend of some of the New Yorkers that were on my, on the UCF team, Mary and, and um, Jean Varis. And, and so, you know, her words, every other word was F this and F that. And she was just a badass, tough, you know, she might as well have been like a gang leader for all I knew. And she, one time I was on the um, sideline trying to get a ball and they smashed me so hard. I, I flew onto the track they broke my sports bra somehow 
And uh, when I opened my eyes, all I could see was like Tar Heel blue track. Like I was just like, oh, I get it now. I see why they, they're, everyone's so intimidated by these guys. And then we lost. Um, so that was sad. And I remember Anson coming over and shaking my hand and I just was like, uh, you know, uh, I was a bad <laughs> loser. So it, you know, every, every year, um, every time we played them, we gunned for them and just like everybody else did playing UNC. Um, and I, I think, you know, we had one of the best shots of beating them, um, although we never did. Well, one that, of, yeah, one of the that was the thing, I think for people that don't understand, like they didn't see the teams really back then. So really, right. you, you could have been the two best teams in the country. It just so happens so that they, they placed you early in the tournament because maybe geography just worked out that way. It was. It was geography. It was just, you know, uh, yeah, that's how they did it. So it was just, gosh, I didn't think about now, you know, now I'm like, yeah, now I thought you bring that up. I understand. I get, we should have gone through, we should have been in final four. We were that good, but just, you know, we had to play the team that won the whole uh, tournament every year uh, in the first round most times. Um, so just, which, you know, to me is like, okay, great. Bring it. Let's might as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like in today's, in today's era, you would have been a national seed. You probably would have been hosting up until the college cup, probably more than yeah. likely. So true. Yeah. That's so true. Cause the year before I got there, I th they were in the final four. And so they were, the goal was we're going to win. This is we're, you know, competing to win the national championship. And so it was, that intensity and with that intention throughout every, you know, every match we played. Now, the last win you had as a UCF Knight was in that 88 tournament against Virginia. They had a freshman, I believe, named Amanda Cromwell, who we yeah. all know very well. Yeah. We would, a decade later, we would get to know her, obviously do, taking over the UCF program and had a great run from 99 to 2012. Obviously, clearly, the, currently the head coach at UCLA yeah. uh, and now part ownership of an NWSL team, yeah. actually. So she's doing well for herself. But uh, talk about Amanda Cromwell, because you've known her for a long time. I know she's talked about you glowingly. We've talked to her. Uh, what was she like to play against that, you know, get to play with? Cause I know she, at times you played with each other uh, yeah. on the team team. And then obviously following her, taking over the program uh, yeah. a decade later. I know. So this is even funnier. Um, so maybe I can add, cause you already know so much, dang it. I, which is great. But I, so I was like an interim coach for, for a little, for like a year or an assistant coach, maybe for another year. And um, Bill Barker had me call, I call her Sal, Amanda, Sal Amanda is her, was her nickname, um, call Sal Amanda Cromwell and recruit her to come to UCF, UCF and she turned me down. So um, I was like, whatever. So we, so we played uh, her college team. Did, I think we did, didn't we? No, we did In 88, uh, your first round tournament, you did, you beat them. And yeah. got before North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she always talks about that, right? Like, yeah, you guys beat us. But then I'm always like, well, you didn't come to UCF. I asked you to come and you didn't come. So I, so it was always like a, a funny, a funny rivalry. And then, uh, you know, later, so she, she was on the national team. Um, she got on the national team and uh, oh my God. So she's a, a defender um, outside back, you know, stopper type player. Um, and 
tough as nails. And so she would mark me in national team practices. And I've always said our national team trainings are like, they're harder than playing against any other team. So if I can, if I'm, you know, playing against my own teammates and doing well, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have a problem with anybody else. That's what, that's what I always believe. So, but she, she and I had the most epic battles and beat the living crap out of each other. Every practice, like fighting each other. And, you know, she, she would like punch me and grab me and kick me and tackle me. And I would be like, you know, and, and then at and Tony, we, or DeChico, our, our national team coach would have, come on, you guys knock it off, knock it off. And, um, and then afterwards, we would go out to uh, Outback Steakhouse and have, uh, you know, their chicken salad and a, and, a, and a cold beer and laugh hysterically about, you know, oh, you did this to me and I did that to you. And um, so we were great, great friends um, amidst all of that. And also, you know, training together because she is so damn tough. She was slow as molasses, thank God. Um, so that was my one thing I could, I could beat her on. And I was taller, so I could jump higher than her. Um, so, but she was so dang tough. And she, you know, she, she was always kind of on the bubble of that national team, but because she was such um, um, a positive force on that team um, and, and she worked so hard, she, she always made the teams at the last second. We called it the lingering acts. And she always like, you know, epically escaped the lingering acts from the coach to make it just because of her just willing, um, um, you know, the willingness she had to do whatever it takes and to train so hard and, and then also contribute to the team in whatever way she could. And, and she did. Um, the, in 96 Olympics, right before that, I think it was like two months before that, maybe, maybe three, or three months, she tore her ACL. So she was on the roster to play on that 96 Olympics, which was the first Olympics for women's soccer ever in the Olympics. She tore ACL, which was devastating. And um, she had surgery in Alabama and then rehabbed like a madman. And, and um, I said, come, come just live with me in my apartment. Cause we were in um, residential training at um, for the Olympics in Orlando, come live with me and train and go to PT and, you know, it'll be a world record if, if you're ready, but just let's just try it. You can do it. You can do it. And she um, ended up making the alternate team. She, she, it was like three months after an ACL and she was, she was like ready to play and was that on the alternate team for the Olympics. So that's what kind of person she is. And we're still in touch to this day and, um, you know, still competing against each other in one way or another. <laughs> she, she mentioned, I think, to us when she was on with us that you had an influence in her taking the UCF head coaching job. Is that true? I yeah, think she... well, yes, I, I kind of talked her into it. But, you know, it's sort of like um, she was devastated still about her career. You know, she wanted to play longer, but it was obviously, you know, the, the level of the team had, had risen. She had gotten injured and it was just a gap. She couldn't, she couldn't decrease, you know, she wasn't going to make it. So it was kind of, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to reconcile the loss of a dream. And, um, so, and, and she, you know, been with us, we'd all been together as a group for so many years. So it was difficult to kind of let that go and move on. Um, so she, 
tried some coaching, I think, at UMBC, um, and then UCF. And she she was kind of, she liked it, but she didn't. But she was at, you know grieving um, this loss. Of, and um, so finally, the the door opens at UCF, and I was like, just Sal, you're gonna love it. You're you're just try it, just try it. And then it was there that she, um, you know, she kind of got over everything and fell in love with coaching. And she's, a, you know, became and is a now really a great coach and very successful. We'll be back with more with Michelle Akers after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Now let's return to our conversation with U.S. soccer great, Michelle Akers. Michelle, I wanted to ask you about the very first Women's World Cup because everyone remembers 99. But very few remember, you know, sort of the Apollo 11 of the Women's World Cup. (laughs) That's good. In 91, right? You guys were walking on the moon. The tournament took place in all the way out in China. Okay. And... You know, I, I scrounged some clips on YouTube and, it, and it's, you can tell that it's, you know, it was a pretty well put together tournament, but it kind of looks like everything is kind of like, oh, we're trying this out for the first time. Let's see how this goes. You had a tournament for the ages. You scored 10 goals, yeah. four in one game, I think, against Chinese Taipei. You scored the only two goals for the United States in the final and, and, and you guys win the very first women's world cup in China yeah. in 19, uh, in November of 1991. What was it like competing at that level for the very first time, uh, on a worldwide stage? Yeah. And there's so much happening, uh, for that world cup. Uh, God, I mean, there's so many levels to that world cup. It's gosh, it, it, I, you know, I should write a book about it. Um, so, it was an experiment by FIFA. You know, can, can, these, can these chicks play? And will they embarrass us if we, um, you know, actually host female soccer? Will they embarrass the men's game? Sincerely, that's what it was. So that's why it was like called the M&M's Cup. Um, and um, the, the games were 80 minutes long. And um, the, the debate was should they play with size four balls because God help us women could not kick a size five soccer ball uh, and cannot play that 90 minutes um, like the, like the guys do. So that's why the games were 80 minutes. Um, the, the, it was in um, well, Guangzhou, China, but then in, then in cities North and the surrounding cities in these stadiums uh, in China. Um, so um Oh my gosh. So it was a a massive, massive challenge uh, to exist as an athlete in China because the food was just horrible. So we brought our own food, but still you you have to supplement it with the Chinese food. And what we ended up eating mostly was, okay, so M&M's cup, M&M's was the sponsor Mars. I, I mean, eating, we probably ate five or six Snickers a day. Uh, right trying to get get enough calories in, in you and eat. the water it was very extremely polluted and and poor um the communities were very poor um and unsanitary um conditions you know toilets were just literally holes in the ground with with these you know footprints on either side and good good luck with that um Okay, sometimes there were troughs and, and there, you know, there's a line of people. So you would not want to be this person in the 
the bathroom trough with everything running down. It, it, it was like mind blowing. Um, so, you know, the air, you blow your nose, you'd be black. Um, so it was really a challenge. Uh, but, and then the games, you know, were every other day. So you really, you only had one day rest. Um, and so, which is so strange because the guys had, you know, three days in between and luxury travel. And then we're in these poor conditions and are playing these, you know, hardest matches in the world, um, every other day. Um, so it was just crazy. Um, but it's the world cup. And so the, the U S had so many um, you know, the U.S. was not known for its soccer and actually was ridiculed uh, by the world because we were kind of behind in the game. And um, so for the, a women's U.S. team to be there saying that, you know, we, we were like, we're going to win. We're winning this thing um, was kind of like, what in the hell are these Americans talking about? They're being dumb as usual in, in this sport of soccer because the rest of the world rules. Well, you know, Anson Dorrance is an amazing coach and he had uh, an ability to pick the right players. And he, you know, he had uh, Mia Hamm, Christine Lilly, Julie Foudy. They were 15 when they came on the team. I think there were 16 in that World Cup. They were major factors. And he, so he, knew, he knows how to pick players and put a team together. And he played to our strengths. He allowed us to play to our strengths. Um, and which, so the, the strategies were score more goals than the other team. And so we did, and and then we ended up winning. Um, and so that for, um, gosh, in so many levels, uh, women's soccer, uh, I mean, so soccer number one in the U.S., um, soc women's soccer for FIFA and the rest of the world, it, it boosted um, American, the American, I guess the view of Americans, even though, um, females playing the game was kind of still looked down upon by the rest of the world. Um, but it boosted all these countries who these women in other countries who saw this world cup aired at, you know, three in the morning across the world, uh, to set their sights for something bigger. And, and then FIFA was like, huh, we, we have something here because the, the crowd, this, the stadiums were filled. Their stadiums were, you know, 60,000 people. It was, it was, it was the, focus of that entire country. Um, it, so it was a, really a perfect place to have it because the entire country was, was just watching this World Cup, um, which then said a lot to the rest of the world. So um, from that is, is how um, the, these, the real next World Cup in 95 happened. And that was the beginning of women's soccer uh, in the US, but also around the world really caused that a big explosion. I mean, everybody talks about the 99. There's been documentaries that have been made about it, yeah. rightfully so. But without 91, 99 probably doesn't happen, right? I mean, that was That's a significant right. moment in the history of the sport. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't have been. I mean, without that 91 World Cup, I mean, because after that 91 World Cup, I mean, Pele was there, okay? So prior to that 91 World Cup, I, I had signed a the first endorsement agreement for a female with Umbro. And Pele was Umbro at the time. So I got to spend time with him. And then there were some incredibly influential people within Umbro that were connected worldwide to the game. Um, and, and so Pele, I got, you know, spending time with him and then these, these men who 
were true advocates for, for the game, uh, men and women included. I, then I went around the world and I became this kind of like, uh, you know, spokesperson for women's soccer. And, but our team was already that. Um, and then I got to be included in a FIFA, in a FIFA this prestigious kind of FIFA committee with Beckenbauer and Pelé and all these amazing people. Um, so I, rep, I was representing women around the world um, there and um, they, they kept seeing the promise or the benefits of, you know, include, keep to continue growing this game for, um, you know, f female football, they called it. So that, that um, World Cup was everything. That World Cup was everything. But in saying that about the U.S., and we, we did, we were the best team there. But Norway had been playing professionally in their country for years as, you know, female football. Same with Sweden, um, a lot of the European countries, Denmark. Um, so that, so they, you know, these little hotspots for women around the world um, and then coming together and then going away again and then having rivalries that were really intense and exciting and the game kept improving you know, was, we all just stepped through the door at the same time. So that was really an incredible opportunity. And, and um, you're right, was the complete catalyst. So 1995, uh, the Women's World Cup was held in Sweden. Yeah. You suffered several injuries in that World Cup that ended up, that was really the reason why the United States ended up finishing in third, lost in the semifinals, I think, to Norway. They eventually win it. And... You know, that sets the stage, though, for four years later when the USA hosts. Tell me, yeah. tell me about when you guys found out that you were going to host in 99 with the chance to get back on top. What was that like for yeah. you? So in 95 World Cup, we lost. Um, so I, I got injured in the first, like, five minutes of the first game. I, a, a Chinese player, like, speared me on a – corner kick we were defending a corner kick or something and I she knocked me in the head with her head and I went down with the concussion and then split open my head and tore up my knee my my right knee my MCL PCL um so I was kind of done I, I ended up playing but I I was like one-legged and um Norway was just a power they we lost to them in the semis so that was and how they celebrated that 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 win um you know just kill it, it it like burned inside it was like oh god you know because we stepped off that field together um just you know feeling awful um and our captain at the time april heinrichs who went she went to unc um she she said let's not we should never forget this we can never forget this and let's use this um to beat them the next time we play them well it happened that the olympics were right after that and that that was in the u.s um which was amazing um and and we you know played norway we beat them but it losing to them forced us to kind of refocus and um um i guess you know decide what how how good we wanted to be and then commit to that as a team so we had our residential training camp we actually went on strike before that olympics to get more support for our team so there's a lot going on um and and we won and I, and i think that 
Olympics, the success of that Olympics and the, uh, you know, that number of the crowds and the feedback from the media and the country and the world, that's what I think um, helped the U.S. Um, get that 99 World Cup. And then, so then from that time, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to do a bid to get the World Cup and how amazing it was, it was going to be. But there was really a lot of opposition still in the U.S., from the media, from the, the culture, um, about soccer in general. Um, and then, you know, female sports were, you know, trying to gain a foothold still. Um, so there was a lot to do and a lot of hard work and a lot of talented people made that happen. Um, and then once the, the cities were named, it, it became like a, cheese. it was like a, an entire push for, um, the you our team um to work every game every moment possible to to create more awareness about this team the 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 game um and and this our our personal stories um which they every you know the, that entire world cup um team not not just the team on the field my team but the the team that put the entire um, event on um it was an amazing group of people and so when, when, you know, we finally won because we had to win for that to be a success as well. It wasn't just butts and seats, it, it, which it was, but we also had to win. So all of that happened afterward. And then afterwards, it was kind of like, oh, we did it. You know, so many people, we did it, we did it. And that was the kind of the, the, the clinching point for the women's side, um, but also for soccer to be kind of um, recognized as one of the major sports in, in the USA, you know, along with so many others. Forgive me for going backwards too, because I'm yeah. sorry, I, I, I glossed over basically the 96 Olympics, which I remember watching that gold medal match uh, in Sanford Stadium in Georgia. And you guys uh, defeated China two to one in front of 76,000 people. I worked in Georgia for a while, so I know how big that place is. And it, yeah. and, and, and it was a, uh, was that kind of like a taste of, wow, okay, 76,000 people to watch us play China with so much on the line, especially in that game, not just winning it, but winning it in front of that atmosphere must have, you must have felt like, wow, we, there's, something, there's something cooking here, right? Well, yeah, it's, um, in, in a way, it's, it's, it's kind of like it, I was two different people all the time. I've been feeling like, um, wow. This is, we have police escorts, we have support, like there's fans yelling for our team, you know, as you walk out, you're like, people are like, wow, you know. Um, so, and that's part of being an American athlete in the Olympics in America, but it's also was indicative of the pop, kind of the popularity of our team and the, the growth um, of, of our, our fan base and the recognition through the, the media, right, uh, in these, in this Olympic, in these Olympic games. Um, so it, it was sort of like, wow. And then, but at the same time, it was like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it was, it, and it wasn't the first time that we played in front of a big crowd. Um, but it, the Olympics is something wholly different. Um, but at this, it's so amazing to play um, in, front, in front of a big crowd because it's almost like you're, 
you're you're one it's almost like it's it's not like there's to me there's no separation between um the the, the feeling of the the inner energy is shared um so when you walk in it's it's almost like it it hits you like a huge wave um the sound there you know the people because you walk in and they're like ah and so it kind of physically hits you um and i felt it just like lift me up they you know the fans that that energy um that carried me throughout that so that so that it wasn't a distraction to me at all it was almost like you know I was being infused with superpowers. Um, so that, that really was a huge, for me, a huge um, difference and huge benefit to being able to compete at that level for so many matches. And I was injured. I still had this MCL, torn MCL. It was wrapped up all the time. I, they said I wouldn't be able to play in the Olympics, but I was like, hell yes, I'm playing. And I had great PTs in, in Orlando, Rodney Negrette. Um, was was my PT and so you know just the it just was really um, like a beyond earth experience when you are in those environments with so many people with so much on the line it's really cool really was and now describe I mean you got to participate in the Olympics in the states in Atlanta and in the World Cup in the states, I mean that's very rare. Uh, not many can share that, so, and 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 really two significant events. I mean the Olympics was the first one ever for soccer held. The World Cup, Rose Bowl, it's one of the most watched television uh, sporting events in history, uh, and obviously it set documentaries and really set the standard for U.S. soccer for many years after that, where every team was compared to your team. Even the recent success now, the U.S. soccer, they get scrutinized based on the success that you had, what, what, what's it been like for you to see the growth of us soccer to the point where they're treated like any other sports team in the States where they're scrutinized. Joe Ellis would get scrutinized for any tactical yeah. move she did. I remember coach Cromwell, uh, we had, I had her on the radio during the world cup. And she was uh, uh, 2015, I think. And she was upset about the criticism. I'm like, well, that's a positive. Cause that means people care. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I criticized Joe Ellis, uh, I mean, it, and, and yet I was like, you know, the, the biggest support, like it's me out there. That's my blood, sweat and tears. It's my, those are my genes. I mean, I'm part of that team that I feel like they are part of me um, out there. So I'm like living every minute, um, every minute on the field that they're out there. I'm out there. Um, so, but I, you're so right because um it means, you know, being criticized as an athlete is part of sport. And if you're criticized, that means people are watching and they care. Um, or if their criticism is heard, then, then, you know, other people are listening and then that gains, you know, more popularity, whatever, the controversy. So I love that. And I loved um, Rapino when she was uh, <laughs> tweeting <laughs> I will not go into the White House. Trump is this and that. And then Trump was saying back things back and forth. I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh, this is awesome. We've made it. Way to go, guys. So um, that, it's so fun. And um, it really is indicative of how far the sport has come and that people care. Um, so, yeah. And, and um, I mean, how far have we come? I, it's just, it's, it's night and day. Um, 
compared to when I was playing. And yet it's still a lot the same. Um, and we have so far to go and, 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 and the teams now, yeah, they're still, they are being um, scrutinized um, and, and, and compared to that 99 team or that era. Um, but I mean, er, isn't every team um, who has that kind of legacy? I mean, yeah. Lakers, I mean, um, Gretzky's teams. I mean, it's just so everybody, everybody is. And I think it's a good thing. And if we can take, take that and make it a positive, because some of them for a while were the more current players were pissed off by that. And they were, they were like, this is our team. They're, those guys are not us. But, um, and I, I got that. Um, and, but it's, I mean, the, the reality is it's great to be criticized because you're, that means you're doing something great and you're growing the game, um, which is great. But you know what? They also, they, they won on their, in their own right. They, 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 you know, made it happen. Um, it's their own team. It's their own style of play. It's their own challenges. And, and we happen to come before that and we open doors for, for them to, to allow them to build whatever team they want to build and, Damn it! They better be world champions. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's at prime time. I mean, these yeah. match, these games draw big numbers on television. They People do. care, uh, and to and, and even outdraws the men. And and you know, and that's been a big, obviously, a lot of topic recently with the women there with U.S. soccer and that whole. What's been your thoughts as you've seen that kind of going back and forth with the uh, U.S. national team, women's team, and the and the U.S. soccer and the debate over finances and yeah. you know. Frustrating. It's so yeah. frustrating. Um, so frustrating. It really is. I don't know. I guess the fact that it's still happening um, is it just makes it more transparent that there's something wrong with U.S. soccer. You know, there's changes that need to be made. Um, because the, you know, the argument can be made, okay, well, the women aren't, aren't getting as much, um, worldwide exposure as the guys, or there's, you know, a different level of, uh, demand perhaps, um, okay. Okay. But at the same time, there's not, there's not been an adjustment. Um, and, and then, you know, for, for the last president of U.S. soccer to come out and make a, a, a huge statement with all these eyes that went over the, that statement both legal and U.S. soccer wise saying that the women's efforts and the women's ability isn't up to par as the men so therefore they should be paid less just really you know to me it just said it all that's what's been going on the entire time so it's just frustrating um I you know I'm I'm waiting I you know, I have a 15 year old son and, um, I, I have a brother, um, you know, my dad and my mom, but I, I'm waiting for other moms and dads to stand up and say, this is bullshit. Um, I don't want this for my daughter. It should be equal opportunity, um, for the job done. Um, so, and corporations have, you know, the dads and moms in these corporations, they have got to stand up. And so I guess what it comes down to is money matters uh, more um, right now. And um, so, you know, this social shift that's going on now, um, Black Lives Matter and, and everything that's going on, maybe that um, will cause more social change, you know, wider spread 
for the entire population in the U.S., you know, male, female, all colors, all, you know, religions. It just, so I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to see it happening and it's 2020. Michelle, if you were, if you were put in charge of U.S. soccer right now, what would you, what, what would you do? How would you, what are the number one things that you would change right now? Uh, Yeah. First of all, I never would be in charge of U.S. soccer. Uh, I don't want that job, and I, I wanted to stay as far away from me as possible. Um, I, I don't know, in, in part, because until you're in that position, you don't know all the things that are playing into to that scenario and that situation. Um, I, do, I, I think, you know... What, what, what is needed is um, I, I would like to see U.S. soccer change more to utilize like what's working for other countries and how they have things set up, how they work, how they, how they uh, manage their, their soccer population and their ability to develop the game and, and also make money um, be, and, and, and implement th- those things with people who are um, capable of doing the jobs that need to be done, you know, that business and sport mixed together. It's, you know, all, you know, the NBAs, the NFL, they all have example. They're all kind of set up as an examples of, of how to set up a, you know, a professional league but also developmental system um across our huge country which is a really incredible challenge um but you know i just i I think it's just kind of gotten away with being um you know run by a select few of people and not not held accountable enough um so you know i would want that to be changed just that so other than that God help me. It's someone, it just needs to be someone that's extremely skilled and in, in, in putting all those components together, which it, it's, it's a really hard job. Cindy Parlow is my teammate. She's the, the president of U.S. Soccer right now. God help her. God help her. You know, she's got a lot to, a lot to, to figure out. It is a tough job. But I, I, the one thing, though, that, you know, as a fan of the game and as a fan of you and as a fan of UCF and women's soccer in particular, that's encouraging for us is seeing how much success the NWSL has had, yeah. uh, especially this year, in, in pulling off the tournament under the circumstances of COVID-19 and yeah. doing so successfully. Yeah. I mean, I remember the WUSA and how, and how you guys tried and it didn't work. Yeah. The NWSL right. is working now. Yeah, and, it's exciting. And there, there's growth there. You have to I, – I, I mean, as a fan, I love to see that. What do you think? Yeah, I'm same here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm so excited. And, and relieved, right? Um, I, I, there's real, some really um, powerful people now, very talented people now running this league, um, invested people, not, and not, just, not just financially, but in all ways um, for, for the game, this game to grow, for this league to grow. And not just the, Amanda Cromwell, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, this, and the players, um, 
I, you know, they're growing the game. They're do, they're doing, you know, what, what we, what I did, what, what we did have been doing for, you know, my entire career, but they're, they're doing that too and playing soccer. And this, this year, especially, um, you know, they're the only team out there. They're the first league out there playing in COVID. I mean, I, that's scary to me. Um, and, um, I'm so proud of them. Like what a major decision that must have been as people deciding to go play amidst this huge pandemic. Um, and the easy thing would have been for them to be like, no, nah, yes. we're not going to play. That would have been the easy thing to do. It would have been, everyone would have been, yeah, of course. Right. But that's, and then the league, the leadership also is like, yeah, we're doing this. And so I thought that was so, um, again, you know, like I look at the actions of these organizations like U.S. soccer, for instance, but the India SSL, it, it just says so much about who is um, participating and who is leading um, and the quality of their, um, like this for this, this tournament, the quality of play was, was great. I, we didn't hear any, anything about anybody getting sick. Um, you know, the Orlando team dropped out. They were safe um, and conservative, yet incredibly risky and courageous and, and showed um, unbelievable, uh, unprecedented leadership um, and, and coherence. Uh, so I thought, I, I'm so impressed. I'm just and so proud of those guys. And it really says a lot about, about these people in that league. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. Hopefully this, this, you know, getting that attention, they got big numbers for their uh, championship that could build for them yeah. moving forward. And, and you know, of course, Cromwell's now, and Mia Hamm, your former teammate, yeah. part of that group with the LA franchise yeah. over there. So that's a big market trying to grow the, the league professionally here in the States because the game is popular in the college game and yeah. it's popular international soccer uh, for women's soccer. How do we get women's professional soccer to maybe reach that level of interest and popularity? I think it's going to be the interesting thing. And I think yeah. stability is a big part of that. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And it's, I, what's been interesting to me is, you know, these celebrities that are coming on board as owners and, um, and, and also past players coming on board and, and working with and supporting current players. Um, it's kind of this, it's, it's in, becoming enmeshed, like, just like the other successful sports leagues, um, it, which is super exciting. It's super exciting. Um, and and that, that finally, I think, is such a huge step um, for, for our, this, this NWSL. I, it's just really super exciting. We'll be back with more with Michelle Akers after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now let's return to our conversation with U.S. soccer great, Michelle Akers. So I got to ask you about, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to pull it back to UCF a little bit. And, um, and we mentioned, you know, in 99, of course, your performance in the final against China is the stuff of legends. And there you were when Brandy Chastain scored the goal uh, on the final penalty kick. You were, I think, in the locker room getting an IV because... Yes you gave literally everything you had left and then some, this was after you scored the game. Concussion, when you yeah. Concussion yeah. Uh, shoulder problem, everything. And you were, and you were dealing with, with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome at the time too. Is yeah. that right? So yeah. 
kind of I, a rough I, day. <laughs> yeah, I know. But at the end of the day, you come through and, and, and you know, we don't have to you know, rehash that because like we said, what has, what has been written about that, that that we don't remember. But I guess if you could give me, give us just your lasting memory of that day and that moment when 90,000 people go yeah. crazy. Yeah. That yeah. the U.S. has won the World Cup. Yeah, it was, um, so, you know, when you, again, when you walk out there, um, so you walk out there and then that, that crowd hits you, um, the, all that energy. And for me, I love, I love the national anthem. Oh my gosh. It's just something, it's so, spe- it's like, cause you're out there, you're playing for your country, USA. And you are like, I am so, I was so aware of who I was representing and how well I wanted to represent, you know, every single person. Um, and, and just the USA as, as like, us right um no pun intended us and us so that there's that huge sense of pride when you have that kind of red white and blue and you're you're walking out with your team and then national anthems playing it's really poignant and then those those jets fly like overhead and it seems like they're two inches above your head and it's so loud and the crowd's going crazy that is like that's just epically it's just mind-blowing um so that is like one memory that I never will forget. And it's extreme, it's extremely tough to top. Um, and then we play the game. It's, it's really, you know, back and forth, really hard game with lots of drama. Um, and the last minute of regulation, I got punched in the head by my goalkeeper, Brian Escurry, and that knocked out and had a, I got a concussion. And so they walked me off the field and um, so I missed everything after that. And, and I was in this medical room underneath in some bowels of the stadium somewhere with the IVs and, and like ice everywhere. And I, I can remember our team doc, doc Adams was eager get snap out of it. You, we got a helicopter to take you to the hospital. You snap out of it right now. He's yelling at me and there's whatever they're working on me. So then I came to like, it, there was a small like TV in the corner and, and then I, 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 you know, the lights went on in my head and I saw Brandy take the kick and then do the celebration. The entire room like jumped through the ceiling. And then I, I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm going out. So I like l- ripped out the IVs and you know, that's not a, like, that's kind of a messy thing when that happens. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm heading, so I go out there and I had to get through, uh, President Clinton's bodyguards, because they're all there. He was there. So I, anyway, we get out there and we're standing, going to the, onto the podium, we get our, our medals. And I, I'm like being held up by people. I, I was just wiped out. And um, the team then does this victory lap. And I, I just stood in the middle of the field and I was with Doc Adams. So all that security, there was just, just massive security. Like I could barely get, I was inside like where, you know, it was okay to be for the participants. And yet they're the bodyguards. I couldn't even get through the bodyguards. Um, and then guess who like just is Mish and it's Amanda Cromwell. Like she just literally jumped from the state, like the stands and um, onto the field. And she's, and that's like, the power of Amanda Cromwell. I don't know how she does it, but then she, so she is standing out on the field with me 
and um, we're watching the team run around and, you know, they celebrating doing this victory lap and it was just super cool. Uh, um, you know, cause you're thinking about a million things and the, the journey and the holy, this is happening and we did it. And it's just like uh, very emotional. And then um, Sal was like, listen, Mish, listen. And then, so I was like, what? And listening and the whole crowd was chanting acres, acres, acres. And I, it was like, what? Get out of town. So that to me was like, what? Like it really was um, like not so unexpected, but so like, um, like, you know, cool. Like it was just n never something I would imagine happening ever. And I was just standing out there after getting the crap beaten out of me. And, um, you know, then the, the entire crowd is yelling that it was pretty, it was so cool. And then Amanda got to be there with me. So, you know, after all she had been through and she, so it was just really um, a cool moment to stand out there. And, and um, then later that night, the only thing I wanted was just give me a burger and fries, please. That's all I wanted. <laughs> burger fries. And then I'll have a beer later. Just give me the burger and fries. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't blame you after that. But I, you know, uh, one of the other people who was on the field that day is UCF's current head coach. PR. Then, Tiff, then Tiffany Roberts, Tiffany yeah. Roberts, and it's it's funny. I was I was trying to to send her a clip on Twitter. I think for the for the 20th anniversary of of the China game, and uh, and and all you see is just her kind of running around, jumping on people after yes. the game. Yes. Tell me about how how you connected how you connected with Tiff and how and and how did that play into her coming to UCF all these years later? Yeah. Well, Tr, what is she like? five foot she's like this little little <laughs> short thing right full of muscle um and she was like one of the fittest players on our team we, we were heart rate monitors and everything and she you know her heart rate was like 190 and she was wasn't even breathing hard um so she she just was an unbelievable athlete right um and a kid, she was a kid. Um, so, it, you know, she had a bunch of older sisters on that team. And um, God, I mean, I just remember, thank God she's here because no one can, no one can, you know, out, outrun her. No one can outfit her. She just put her on the field and let her go, let her take care of business <laughs> for us. Um, and then, you know, later she's at UCF. So she, I was on that committee uh, to interview people for UCF. They asked me to come and will you, uh, interview. And so she was there. Um, she was like, I was like, Hey, TR. She's like, Hey, Mish. She comes in. It was just, it was like so, so great to see her. And then she got the job, um, her and her husband. And so they've been there and they're doing great. It's just, it's kind of really cool to have, um, you know, one of my national team player uh, teammates, um, at my own, you know, at UCF where I grew up, it's, and she's still taking care of the team and, um, being awesome. So it's, it's, uh, it's just like, it's really great. It's just a fun feeling. It really is. I mean, and yeah. if people don't realize she was so young. Yeah. Uh, how old was she like in the teens or like in yeah, the 95? She, she was part of 95 team too, wasn't she? Yeah. I think she, I don't, I can't remember. That's my, you know, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she, yeah, she was, God, how old was she? Maybe like 17, 16. Yeah. 17, she was one of your younger like players. Yeah. She was one of the younger players. What was she like as a player? Uh, for those that didn't get to see her play as a teammate, what was her like? Cause, uh, she was one of the, you mentioned she, nobody could out, you know, outfit. Yeah. She was a Herman finalist during her college days yeah. at UNC and things like that. And, you know, we've seen her up close now, obviously as a coach and the competitive side, but she was just as competitive as a player, right? Yeah, she was just as competitive, right? I mean, yeah, everybody who was on that team had to be competitive. And she was, she was, um, that her, her, you know, every player that's chosen for the team has something to offer that no one else has, um, along with, you know, a, a lot of talent, equal talent in other areas. Um, so her, you know, she was, a, she was just a kid, right? Um, but she, the, her, her thing was that fitness ability. And she, she was, you know, we'd put her on the field and say, do not let this player play. And she, you know, that player, they should have just got like one of those portable chairs and sat down because there's no way they, they could compete against her because she never got tired. And if she missed, like if they got past her, she was so quick and fast. She, you had to like beat her three times. So I, it was, she was such a benefit to have out there. So she, and she came, so she came off the bench too. So a lot of times, you know, once you're already in the rhythm of the game and then something is happening and you know, the coach is like, TR, get in there. So she's already like head over heels above this, the physical ability of this other player. So that it just must've been so disheartening for these, for the team to, for the opposition to have this other player come in that they, you know, there's just good luck with that guys. So it, so as a, her teammate, it was great to just go, okay, she's, she's on that. I don't have to worry about it. And, and it frees, frees you up to, you know, do more because you know, that part is totally covered. Um, and then she would just be come off and she's always like happy and chipper and, you know, did I do okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> She's just a, f a really fun person, really nice person, works super hard. Um, she was a great teammate, great friend. We're, we're so lucky to have, you know, here at UCF to have that connection going back to you and Tiffany and Amanda and everything yeah. with the United States national team. It's just, it's, it's so cool. So I want to, we're going to wrap up here. And by the way, thank you so much for giving of your time and your insight. And, you know, uh, it's just, it's wonderful to hear from you and, and for you to take this time for us that we're just eternally grateful. Um, before we go, I just wanted to ask you, what do you, what's next for you? All right. You're, I, I know you're, I know you're in Georgia right now working on the, or working with the horse farm and everything, but what's, what's going to be the next thing for, for Michelle Akers? Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Right now, I, I'm, I really, I want my son to get his driver's license without killing us or wrecking my truck. Um, so we've got about, you know, a year. And then, um, you know, we're trying to move to, uh, you know, Bend, Oregon area um, to be closer to family. My, I've got family in Seattle and California, so it's, yeah. I really, we really want to get closer to family. Um, so we're working on that part. Um, um, I'm... I'm doing my horse uh, rescue stuff, animal welfare stuff, but I'm kind of transitioning into a, um, changing that a little bit. So it's, it's working with people as well. So, you know, um, 
finding um, the balance of that and the people to do that with has been part of you know the last couple years um, working on that funding working on funding um, and you know I'm I'm trying to figure out how I want to be involved in soccer um, so I'm you know I think I'm working I'm working on a couple book ideas um, one of them is that 91 World Cup um, and, but the other is um, talking about how kind of um, the, the highlights of my career and then how that transferred over, how I made those highlights happen, you know, the, the, the circumstances around involving those skills that were developed or mentality that was developed. And then what, how does that transfer off the field um, when you, you know, you're done playing? Because that's ultimately where everyone is retired um, and off the field. Um, so that's part of it. And I, you know, my, oh my gosh, I'm so, so we're talking about doing starting a podcast or being involved in setting up a, um, some podcasts, um, kind of programs. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm going. Um, but I don't know, I'm kind of, kind of like, a um, kind of experimenting a little bit and seeing how, um, excited I am about certain things and then how, how, how do I integrate that, um, into into where I am right now. Did I read where you might be a part of like a Netflix uh, series of yeah. the U.S. soccer? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, yeah, Netflix bought um, our, our the '99 World Cup story. Jerry Jerry Long Longman, I think his last name is, um, wrote a book, "The Girls of Summer," which is a great book. And um, Netflix bought that, and they're they're going to do a a, a script. Um, off of that. Um, so hopefully they'll start shooting next year. COVID got in the way of, of you know, actually starting the process. But um, they said, you know, with, with luck, next spring we could start shooting. So that is, gonna, you know, the whole night on World Cup story. That'll be really exciting and fun. That's pretty awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, I know. It's so exciting. We did like this um, video, uh, social media video promo that was – you know, I, I'm always like, I hate doing this video stuff. But then, you know, I start, I started, and me and my son were doing our our section of it, and then they tied it all together. And we, oh my gosh, I, we, I had the best time. And then, you know, it just reminds me how much fun I have with that group of people. So I'm really looking forward to that. Gosh, that's awesome. I guess my last question is, what advice do you have for what what, what what's your advice to young women out there right now? In soccer? In soccer and life in general, you know, given, especially given everything that we're yeah. going through right now. I mean, you talked about it before. What's, what's the one thing that you want everybody to know? Well, it's, it's probably the hardest and most easiest thing, right? Um, everybody's asked me what, you know, there was no soccer. There was no World Cup. There was no national team. There was no Olympics. There was nothing, no professional league. What? And you were playing and what in the world what you know but i you know i was just following like um i was doing what i loved and following what 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 um my passion was my internal passion and and by doing that then i like was living out my power um everybody has it um so i i guess it's you know, now I'm 54, so I, I, I'm old now, but I still got some years to go. I'm by far not as mature as I want to be. Um, but 
the, you know, I think it, the balance is find how, how to live out your power and, and how, how to remain steadfast to that internal knowing of and being who you are, no matter what is happening or what people are saying around you. Um, because that's, you know, I think your truth is the most powerful and, and, and forces will get out of the way and come to you to, to, as you follow that um, to, to make what you're dreaming of and who you are a reality. So I, it's deep. But that, that's, you know, COVID has just reinforced that. My whole career was about that. My rescuing horses, oh my gosh, and animals. Now, a lot of people do that, and they, most people do it who do, are, do it at great cost, but I love it so much, so I'm just trying to stay true to that, who I am inside, and I'm, you know, trying to help my son do that, so for, as you as a dad, you know, good luck when she gets her learner's permit, and um, keep those boys away from her, and, um, you know, just empower her, just empower her, and let her know, you know, she's the best um, of who she is and she's the only one that can make it happen, but you support her no matter what. I, that's, that's like, that's the message I would want to hear uh, as a kid and as a girl and as, as who, me right now. <laughs> well, th this has been an honor. This has been an honor to finally get to talk to you. We've obviously been fans for, from afar for a long time. Uh, just congrats. I just want to say uh, on behalf of Jeff and all UCF fans and all soccer fans, and, and sports fans in general, just congrats on all the success you've had and, you. uh, and, and on and off the field because you've made an impact just as much off the field, not only with what you've done in soccer, but what you've done with the, hor you know, with the horses and all that. It's been a remarkable, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on a UCF campus down the road. I know. I'd love to be there. I, I, I can't wait to, to come down and visit. And thanks for having me on. It was really great to be here and meet you guys and talk and chat. And let, let's do it again sometime soon. Will do, Michelle Akers. Where can people find you, by the way? Oh, michelleacres.org uh, is my website. And um, I'm, I do Instagram and Twitter and all those things. So I forget which. It's something like official Michelle Akers or Michelle Akers official or something around that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, all, I'm, I, I'm not a great poster, but I take lots of pictures of my animals. There's always some adventure happening here or funny thing. And um, I also talk a lot about the soccer in the current state um, and, and also our past with lots of fun stories. So, you know, check me out. I appreciate it. That's awesome. And when things, uh, when things clear up, we're looking forward to seeing you back down here in Orlando. All right. Can't wait. Thank you. Wow. Once again, huge thanks to Michelle uh, for spending that time with us and giving us so much great insight. Can't wait to see her when she comes back to Orlando. Um, and she, we know how big she's been in the history of UC, not just American soccer, but of course UCF soccer um, as well. A um, couple of reminders. You can follow Michelle on social media. Uh, she has a Facebook account, facebook.com slash official Michelle Acres. She is also at official Michelle Acres on Instagram and on Twitter at Michelle Acres and the number 10, no underscores or spaces, Michelle Acres 10 on Twitter. And don't forget to stop by um, the official website of Michelle Acres, MichelleAcres.org, where she keeps uh, everybody updated on her horse and animal rescue and outreach, um, as, well as, uh, as well as sharing stories and, um, and memorabilia from uh, her time 
uh, as one of the great athletes in the world. Um, and once again, we're so thankful that she spent time with us here at uh, Black and Gold Banneret. Of course, don't forget to check out our UCF 250, including the top 80 UCF female athletes of all time, uh, which you can find at blackandgoldbanneret.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Black and Gold Banneret, at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. Thanks once again to Michelle Akers. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. We'll catch you later on this week with our regular show. But for now, once again, this has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.